0: This episode of Truth Table is brought to you by University Press, whose vision is to catalyze redemption, restoration, and revival in our divided and broken world. Follow IVP on Twitter at ivpress and visit IVP's website at www.ivpress.com.
1: This is Christina from Truth Table. So every once in a while, we get the opportunity to to uh, share with you all something that uh, we do within our own our own ministries within our own work. And I wanted to share with you for this Truth Table classroom a talk that I that I gave oh maybe a couple of years ago almost at this point from Luke 19. It's an act of restorative justice and the response of the exploited. Uh, I hope that you are blessed by this talk and this particular passage of Scripture, and I hope that it maybe causes all of us to uh, grab a hold of the grace that is ours through the act of repentance. and I hope that it blesses you. Take care. So we're going to start with we're going to center our conversation today by looking at Luke chapter 19. So that's where we're going to start. And we'll, throughout this conversation that I have with you, we'll pull in some other pieces, but this is really going to center our conversation. And so I want you to attune your ears and hear the word of the Lord, starting in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He, referring to Jesus, entered Jericho. And was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he meaning Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it and when they saw it, They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So in this passage, we find a few things. We find Jesus. We find Zacchaeus. We find a grumbling crowd. And we also find an act of restorative justice. So Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and many of you are quite familiar with this story, but I hope that maybe we'll see something fresher even today. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Tax collectors are despised people. Zacchaeus makes money distorting his own kinsmen. There's nothing like insulting the people within your own group. Right? It's like the woman who denies the suffering and pain of her sister who's been sexually abused. There's something particularly painful about in-group mistreatment. In-group expectations. And so he makes his cash extorting his own kinsmen. He's an agent of the empire and not a servant of the kingdom. And Zacchaeus's job is to maintain the status quo and he gains financial rewards from the pockets of an oppressed minority. Despised by the people of God and yet not fully accepted by the people of the empire. Zacchaeus upholds and protects the corrupt institution over the vulnerable people. That's his job. Yet in this passage, we see this tax collector whose money can no longer numb his conscience. Some kind of way, Zacchaeus must have heard about this Jesus. I mean, I know that there was no social media then, but some kind of way, rumor and gossip Got to his ear about this man named Jesus. And maybe I submit to you today that it could have been some of those stories just one chapter back in chapter 18. Stories that you might remember, stories like Jesus sharing about the parable of the widow, the widow that persisted in front of an unjust judge until he conceded and gave her justice. Stories about Jesus rebuking those who suffer to make it so that children cannot come unto him. Maybe he heard about these stories. I don't know. Maybe he heard about this one, about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I imagine if Jesus started to talk about deans of intercultural student development, my ears might perk up. Ah, I can relate to that story. So back in chapter 18, Jesus tells this parable about a Pharisee and about a tax collector. And let me submit to you Jesus's words. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, idolaters, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful on me, a sinner. I tell you this, the man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So I don't know what inspired Zacchaeus, ultimately. I don't know if he had heard about those things that happened back in chapter 18. I don't know if they meant his ears, but some kind of way they inspired his feet. Feet that climbed a tree to see this Jesus that was passing through. Jesus sees him in that tree and bids him to come down. And Jesus invites himself into the home of Zacchaeus. But like the Pharisee of that self-righteous prayer back in chapter 18, the people, the they, oh, they began to grumble. Are there any grumblers in chapel today? Any grumblers? Any, any grumblers? I submit I'm a bit of a grumbler. I, I submit that to you. And I, I think if I scratched around a bit, you might submit at some point that you too might be a bit of a grumbler as well. So let's be honest. I would have grumbled too. You may have grumbled as well. See, when the guilty, when the socially guilty get grace, well, we might find ourselves grumbling. And there was no doubt that Zacchaeus was guilty. When those that exploit the vulnerable and aid in a bad systemic injustice, claim Jesus as their house guest, some of us grumble. And I submit this morning that to the extent, to the extent that you identify with the broken, the exploited, the unseen, the vulnerable, the marginalized, you might grumble too when the appeasers of injustice receive grace. And I submit that maybe to the extent that you identify with social power, unrepentant social currency that is afforded to you, one through the suffering of your neighbor, that you might miss all of this. You may not get the grumbling. You may not get why it would disturb others to see this. But lean in. Look closer. The humble Zacchaeus reminds us that when Jesus comes to our house, it does not end our obligation to our neighbors and those who we have hurt or the systems that we enable that hurt them. So the crowd says, as a way to question both the goodness of Zacchaeus, but also the goodness of Jesus, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold. He doesn't say to the grumblers. He says to the Lord, behold. Behold. Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Our repentance, rightfully so, goes to God Almighty. When we sin, like David reminds us, it is a sin against God. But that does not mean that when we repent, the fruits of our repentance does not belong to our neighbor. Do you hear me? Are you following me? See, there's a mythology. There's this mythology, particularly in the Western church context, that we simply say to God, see, I've sinned. And God is gracious and kind and God forgives but we hardly ever call for a repentance that apologizes to God and then serves the defrauded neighbor. And I submit to you, that is what Zacchaeus does in this text. Our acts of repentance are to God. We sin against him, but our repair is to our neighbor. And if Jesus has come to your house the disenfranchised, the marginalized, and the grumblers. They should not have the temptation to question Jesus's omniscience and his goodness because of our own stiff-necked, unrepentant, entitled ways. Instead, our acts of repentance and posture of generosity points to the generosity of Christ himself. People who have been given grace, give grace. Peoples whose sins have been washed away, they have been washed away that we might become restorers, repenters, repairers. So when Jesus comes to your house, When he invites himself into your house, as he's done with Zacchaeus, we are now free to make right that which we have done wrong and the systems that we benefit from that do others wrongly.
0: Michelle, so, you know, everybody, you know, we be talking at the table, you know, but Unbeknownst to most people, we do have our head in books, oftentimes, so we can talk. So what is the book that you're currently reading, girl? I am
2: so excited that right now, the Evangelical Theologies of Liberation and Justice, entire primer that's edited from our friends at InterVarsity Press. I've been really glad to see that some of the contributors include Soong Chan Ra, Our Sis, Shaniqua Walker-Bonds, The Good Doctor, Um, And my homie, Dominique, who um, we know has basically elevated and changed the game concerning the church's view of mass incarceration and the theologies that have served in different ways to keep that truth about racism and oppression just under the surface. I think a lot of these writers are doing the hard work that it takes to elevate and remind us that liberation theology is a very important part of evangelicalism. And to be honest, from my perspective, it might be one of the only things that'll save it. So I'm excited about that particular book. And I feel like our listeners could get excited about it too. What do you think,
0: Akemi? I think so. I think they're going to be excited just about the content, obviously, about who's contributing. I mean, the editors are May, Elise Cannon, and Andrea Smith. And so we have a special deal for our Truths Table sisters. So the deal here is you all are going to get 40% off plus free shipping when you go to www ivypress.com slash truthstable get on this deal y'all you have some time because it expires December 31st 2019 but get on it go to www.ivypress.com slash truthstable to purchase Evangelical Theologies of Liberation and Justice edited by May Elise Cannon and Andrea Smith and you'll get 40% off plus free shipping don't say we never gave y'all nothing hello
1: So let me spell this out more explicitly, because it's easy to get lost, maybe in just this moment, and for it to become abstract. But let's come to 2018. Why not? And let's push the awkward just a little bit. See, Zacchaeus is affiliated with exploited systems. I want you to take a moment and think In what way am I affiliated with exploitive systems? Just take a moment. We can't see what's in your mind. It won't go up on any screens. In what way am I a benefactor of the mistreatment of my neighbor? Is this a question you ask yourself? Let the grumbles cause you to ask yourself this question. Just because we are impacted by the grumbles of those around us who critique our faith, it does not mean we simply dismiss their voices. Instead, we ask ourselves, is there reason for their grumbling? So, when we talk about something like race in America, Nationalism in America. Sexism and good old boys clubs in America. Do these things cause our neighbors to grumble and to doubt Jesus's wisdom? To doubt Jesus's mercy? To doubt Jesus's goodness? And if so if our unrepentance, if our unwillingness to acknowledge the legitimacy of the grumble, shame on us. Shame on us. When people legitimately grumble because they find us to be inconsistent, when people legitimately grumble because they wonder if you You care about the unborn, but do you care about police brutality? When people grumble about that, we can choose to dismiss it and make excuses. Or we can turn to God. And we can put our repentance to God that impacts our neighbors. Oh God, if I've defrauded anyone. If I benefit from unjust systems, if I am given privileges that I did not earn, but I pretend do not exist, God, give me a heart to want to make that right. Give me a love that says to my neighbor, I value your body and your soul. When Jesus has really come to our house, it impacts how we see our neighbor's. It shifts our witness. Y'all, Christians are repenters. We're repenters. And we don't just repent once in a big, extravagant, ta-da way. No, we live a life of chronic, compulsive repentance. If you haven't repented already today, you're probably overdue. This is who we are. It is not that Christians are perfect people. It's not that Christians do not have racist and sexist and greedy people and gossipy people among them. Of course, what makes us different is that we repent. That's the difference. That's the difference. And Jesus is faithful to come into our house. Jesus is faithful to come into the house of sinners and to make us monuments of his mercy and testaments of his grace. And y'all, this is the most scandalous thing about Jesus. It is. It is the most scandalous thing. We can debate, is it the divinity of Christ that's the most scandalous? Is it the humanity of Christ? Is it, oh, but I submit to you this morning that it is Christ's grace that amazing and scandalous grace that is the most shocking thing about Jesus. It's a grace that goes beyond our in-group. It's a grace that goes beyond the people who look like us and sound like us and vote like us and think like us and ignore those types of sin like us and really focus on those other sins like us. It's a grace that's scandalous because it's a grace that is broad and it is bold and it is shocking. Quite frankly, the very first time in Jesus's public ministry where he receives a death threat. It is because of the scandal of the grace. It is because the grace leads the in group. And goes out and draws in and pulls near those who we think don't deserve it. I can prove it to you. I can prove it to you. We find Jesus earlier on in the book of Luke, starting his public ministry. <laughs> and he wasn't hated at this point. As a matter of fact, they oohed and they odd at his words. In Luke chapter 4, he is embraced by his in-group as he teaches in the synagogues, being glorified by all. See, we like people who sound like us. They praised him because he opened the scrolls that captured the in-group longings. They praised him because of the exclusivity of his reading of those words that belong to the beloved prophet Isaiah. And we too praise people who scratch our exclusivistic itches by speaking our political and social and cultural language. Oh, they are so wise because they sound like me. And at first his listeners, they heard Jesus back. In chapter 4, proclaiming these words of rescue and safety for their people, belonging and identity for their people, which left those listeners affirming and grateful and in awe. But see, something powerful happens in Luke chapter 4, verses 24 through 30. Jesus demonstrates a grace so scandalous that it walks outside of the in-group and it draws in to the out group And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet of Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Why were they filled with wrath? Because he's talking about a blessing that goes past the in group into the out group and draws people in. He's talking about the faith of a Syrian to people who had decided to completely write them off. He's talking about a widow that was from the out group. That's why it was shocking. That's why it was provocative. And let me tell you, those people rose up, the scripture tells us, and drove him out of the town. They brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. You ever want to be thrown off a cliff? Start talking about the people that aren't supposed to be included, being included. You want to see people get upset? Start talking about who belongs and who doesn't belong. Start talking about the true scandal of Jesus's grace. How bold, how provocative, how far-reaching, how deep. It truly is. And they went from awe to throwing Jesus or wanting to throw Jesus off of a cliff. When you start to have real conversations in a racialized nation, the United States is a racialized country. When you start to have real conversations about that, people will go from awe, oh, look at your words, Christina, to wanting to throw you off a cliff. They want to take the words that you say in the very body that it comes from, and they want to push it far, far, far away. How dare you insult my in-group allegiance? How dare you call me to be bold and inclusive and deeply loving like Jesus himself? How dare you call that? I repent not only of my sins, but of the systemic sins that I benefit from. Oh, Quickly, let's get a cliff and let's throw this person off. We must be people who are grateful and thankful that God reaches far and wide. Because it reaches us. Reaching far and wide reaches us. So the next time you hear grumblings, think about why that might be. The next time people question the sincerity of Christians, don't get defensive. As people who don't deserve grace but are caught up in it, question why that might be. And look at our older brother Zacchaeus and ask yourself, Could I, would I, love the grace that I've been given enough to ask myself, am I willing to give up my social perks tied to an unjust empire? (laughs) Would I? I mean, nobody's looking at your brain so you could answer honestly in your head. Do I have to create a mythology pretending that these things do not exist? Do I ignore and minimize the grumbling because I crave and I love the perks of the in-group so much? Jesus reaches beyond the in-group to the out-group and brings us in. Pray with me. Gracious God, our Father, you are good. You are better to us than we realize. You know, the way that we treat people, Lord, the amount of grace that we give others is a reflection of the amount of grace that we think we actually need. We give much grace when we recognize we've been given much grace. And when we realize that we as Christians are called to be sojourners, in this land, oh, that changes our perspective. It calls into question things like our racial allegiances and our nationalism and our social and political orientations. Sojourners in a land that you have created, oh God. Help us to be people that are pleased enough with you, that are grateful enough with you that you Fashion our central and core identities. Help us to be people that are so satiated, so satisfied in what the gospel gives that we would publicly say to grumblers, oh, if I have defrauded you, I will repair it fourfold. Let Jesus really be enough. Let that really be our witness. For your name's sake. In Christ we pray, amen.